Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. In today's podcast, we are going to explore the importance of beauty and longing. Hello, Kurt. Hey, Pepper. Great to see you today. Great to be with you, as always. As always. You too. You know, so um, as as human beings, we need three basic things to survive, right? We need food, water, and shelter. Pretty basic. But as you know, you know, we need much more than that, right? Indeed. And so today, I think, I think we're going to talk about not just what we need to survive, but what we need to thrive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the things that, that you and I have talked about in the past and you've, you've taught me is just, you know, this, how important beauty and longing are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we are uh, recording this today, um, we're still in the, um, in the throes of the COVID-19 pandemic. And, um, and I'm finding in my life that um, especially beauty um, is something that's really helping me get through, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. early on in, in this, when we were all quarantined real strictly and um, I, I was candidly having trouble, you know, I was anxious as a, you know, I'm not the only person, ever, you know, most people were anxious and, and stressed and, um, and probably fearful as well. And, um, one of the things that really helped me and you encouraged me in this is, um, I would go out and walk every day. I would start my mornings mm. with, mm. with a walk every day. Most mornings, uh, have my wife being with me, Nell and, and, uh, and just at, being out in nature and being um, really thoughtful about what I'm paying attention to mm. Um, mm. and yeah. really looking and seeking out that, that beauty right, um, was something that's just really made a big difference. Yeah. Well, I, I just, um, I know of a couple of conversations that you and I had about your excursions into beauty and, uh, I'd love for our listeners to hear in a minute a little bit about one of those, you know, one or two of those experiences that you had. I think it's also, you know, what, what strikes me, I, I really appreciated your reflection on, you know, this difference that we sometimes think about is, you know, what we need to survive versus what we need to flourish, what we need mm. to do more than just that, but to thrive. And I think what's so interesting is how, you know, with especially with COVID, it becomes easy for us to think, oh my gosh, I just have to do those three basic things. I need food, shelter, clothing, I need, you know, the, the basic stuff. That's, that's what I really, that's what I need. And I think as it turns out, one of the ways that beauty surprises us is that when we allow ourselves, as we like to say here, when we allow ourselves to put ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty, we discover after a while that it's actually just as necessary for our long-term survival as it is for flourishing. Mm. And we don't often think of it in those terms because we are people who, over the last actually several hundred years, 
have kind of separated beauty out into these spaces where, for instance, if we want to see beautiful things, we either go to nature out someplace in the wild. And that wild, you know, for, for you, for instance, it might not be that far away. It might only be, it might be a walk that might be close to your home. Or we go to a museum, for instance. But we have kind of siloed beauty in our own minds into these particular places. Oh, if I want to see beauty, I go do a particular thing. I go out into the woods. I go, I go to the Grand Canyon. Or, or I go to the museum. And it's these particular places that we preserve, right? We have national parks, these places that we preserve so that beauty is there, you know, when we get the chance, when we have the freedom to do it. It's kind of like a luxury. And there's certainly something about beauty that feels luxurious, especially when, you know, when we're in those moments captivated. I remember when I was, you know, with our family, we came to the south rim of the Grand Canyon, and it was at that low light of the afternoon in the summer. And I remember saying to my wife, Phyllis, this, like, I can't even look at it. It's too painful to, it's so overwhelmingly beautiful. I can't look at it. But I think that when we do that, when we kind of silo it, when we put it in these places, we then lose out, we miss out on the reality that beauty is waiting for us in every single moment. And we long to, of course, see the Grand Canyon, not just because we can say, oh, I went to see beauty on my vacation and now I'm back home and I'll have to wait till beauty comes around again next year at vacation. But I see the Grand Canyon as a way to then come back and find beauty where I am, to find Mm. beauty in the meal that we make, in the apple that I cut open, in the smile of my son when he's, you know, cutting a joke, in the tree that's in my neighborhood, and these these things, and and more, more importantly, it coaxes us eventually, I think, which we'll talk more about, it coaxes us eventually into this place where we're actually able to discover and look for beauty, not just in those places that are obviously beautiful, but actually even in the places that feel really off-putting to us. Because one of the things that we would say about the gospel is that God comes to the world and he sees beauty beyond the pain and the brokenness into which he enters. He enters into that brokenness and he says, I am waiting for beauty to emerge out of these very places where anybody else would look around and he's like, all we see is ugliness. Hmm. Anybody else looks at what we would call Good Friday. Anybody else looks at crucifixion and all we see is the worst, the worst of humanity, not just a man on a cross, but that we would do this to a human being, that we would do this and that the state and the religious organization and the mob would all kind of come together and do this collectively to a person who's completely innocent. So it's not just the cross itself that's so awful, it's what it represents, but we would say through the lens of Easter, we look back at that and we would say, my goodness, there's nothing more beautiful than a crucified Lord, given that we're looking at it through that particular lens. And so I think beauty for me is not just what we see with the lilacs, 
with Van Gogh, which you, I mean, you were the one who put me onto that. And I remember seeing it for the first time. And I'm like, hmm. oh, oh my, this is what Pepper's talking about. Like, you're just speechless. Yeah. But you're also looking for it in, in the places that we would typically expect only to find pain and brokenness. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, um, that places that I tried to find beauty um, recently, you know, during this time is, you know, on those walks that I was talking about, um, I, I decided to, uh, because of some of the anxiety I was feeling and all of that, I decided to focus my attention on um, a particular poem. Uh, Wendell Berry's uh, poem, The Peace of Wild Things. I know you're familiar with it. You and I have talked about this poem. And mm-hmm. it really, it's, it's a poem that really speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I decided on these walks to, um, to put this poem to memory, right? Um, so that I would have it, it, it could be, I could have access to it whenever I wanted it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I'm walking and like the third day, I guess, that I'm, I'm putting this, this to memory and the, um, the poem, I, if I, I hope, I hope I won't butcher it, but the poem, it starts off, um, when despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound of what my life and what my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water. And the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax themselves with forethought of grief. I come upon the presence of still water. I stand beneath the day-blind stars waiting with their light. I rest in the grace of the world. And for a moment, I am free. So I get to this point to this point in the poem where I've finally got it memorized and I, I walk up my through the neighborhood and into this beautiful park and walking across this bridge over a creek and and I'm and I'm thinking about that uh, wood drake and that great blue heron and lo and behold I look down the creek and and there's a great blue heron feeding in the creek right unbelievable and between he and I I'm seeing something moving and uh I'm thinking, no, it's not going to be a wood drake. I mean, there just can't be. But it, it, it's a this beautiful mallard who just takes off and flies right at me, flies over my head and down around the corner, follows the, the bend around the corner of the creek. And I just got chills from just the beauty of it Amazing. and the gift that that, that that was. But the concentrating on the beauty of those words, those mm-hmm. images the beauty that I'm, that, that, um, I was physically standing in. Mm-hmm. And I will say that for a moment I was free of all right. of it. And, right. and then the more I spend time in those things and paying attention to those things, you know, so much of that original anxiety and stress that I felt through this period, 
has been relieved. Right. You know, I, I would love for our listeners uh, to go back and just hear you describe that story over and over again. Hmm. Because what you described reminds me of a couple of things about beauty. And one is that, you know, to memorize a poem takes effort. We don't just Mm -hmm. read a poem and it just becomes part of us. We actually have to work at beauty. We have to work. We have to put effort into creating it. Uh, It's often said that the best poets are the ones who write the most poetry because so much of what they write, they're not satisfied with, and we never read it, we never hear about it, because they're working so hard at writing poetry that is lasting. And if you memorize that poem, uh, you're having to work. You've got to burn energy. You have to put effort into this. Now, sometimes we're walking through the woods and we come upon a brilliant sunset, and it doesn't feel like we have to work very hard to be captivated by that. I didn't have to work very hard to show up at the Grand Canyon and the Grand Canyon just, you know, revealed itself to me. But most of beauty, much of beauty must be acquired. There is energy, there is participation on our part that is required. And you memorize that poem and the very act of remembering that poem allows the poem itself to embed itself literally within your neural networks and from there within your own body, right? I'm, I'm guessing that you sense this in your body, this piece of wild things that you described. And so one element that's really important about beauty is that it is independent of us, but it is also, it, it, for, for us to engage it, it requires effort and effort that is that it, that is work. But the other thing that it really stri- that strikes me about this is, and I, I'd be curious to hear more about what you would say about this. We like to say in our work in interpersonal neurobiology that we become what we pay attention to. Hmm. We become what we pay attention to. And I think it's noteworthy that if I'm working to memorize that poem, and actually that poem becomes me, right? It takes up residence within me, my guess is that it primes me to be even more attuned to seeing the blue heron and the mallard and to Mm. be aware of beauty where we otherwise would not be aware of it. So it's not just a matter of I'm working to encounter beauty and to allow it to be, as like we say here often, we ingest, we digest, and we metabolize it. But it also prompts us and primes us to be that much more aware of beauty in other places where we otherwise might not be aware of it. I think the other, you know, there are these three words that I use to describe beauty, and, and, and these are my three words, and they're, they're, they're not random, uh, but they are certainly not the only way to describe it. I, I think of these uh, three words that all began with W. The first is this sense that the beauty... Uh, is a you know creates within me a sense of wonder, right? There's there's wonder. Like when I encounter beauty, like it just captivates me. I don't have words for this. I right. am in a state of wonder. The other thing about beauty that strikes me is that real beauty welcomes us. It welcomes us. It says, "Here I am. Enjoy what you are experiencing." 
it welcomes us. We are welcomed into that space. It's not stingy with itself. It doesn't hoard itself. The Grand Canyon doesn't say, no, you may not look upon me. I'm too beautiful. Now, we might put restrictions on what people can do and say, but beauty itself is completely welcoming. And the other thing then it does is that it leads ultimately to worship. It leads to this notion of unspeakable gratitude to our creator. Now, of course, the tricky part for me is that I end up wanting to worship the beauty itself. I want, Mm. and, and, and I don't, I don't just want it to welcome me. Like I want it to just be between me and the beauty. Like I want to own the Grand Canyon. Y'all can come and visit, but I want to have it. I want to exploit it. I want to have this thing to clutch because evil will, as it is often the case, it will use beauty as a way to co-opt my own shame. The part of me that doesn't feel like I'm enough, I'm going to clutch beauty as a way to make up for what I'm not enough of. And so worship is something that beauty points us toward. It points us beyond the thing that we are encountering toward the one who's longing to have relationship with us and who says, gosh, I want you to enjoy the heron and the mallard that just flew over your shoulder. I want you to enjoy the Van Gogh. Like, let's talk about the joy that you are. And then as we're even talking here today, Pepper, I'm thinking there's a fourth W, and that is this that we've just talked about, that involved in this is the element of work. Hmm. The element of putting forth effort. The effort that is required to create great music. Our good friend Noah Needleman, who's helping us to produce this. Right. Like he he does things musically that I like I I just I there's no words. Like we ha I have no words. It's like where does this come from within this man? From from within this man. But it's easy to listen to Noah play and sing and do everything that he does and things like, well, that's just that's just like breathing for Noah, as if Noah never has to practice. But like I don't know anybody who works any harder at his craft than Noah does. Right. And so your uh, you know, your 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 story about working on the poem, hmm. memorizing the poem, is really helpful for me because I think about, I think about anything that we long to see beauty and we, and we often attribute beauty just to, you know, often to objects or to experiences or to music, like these abstract things. But I would say that beauty begins in the context of relationship. Theologians would say that God himself isn't beautiful. It's not like there's God and then beauty is this separate attribute of his that, God is beauty. Like we wouldn't even have an idea of beauty other than God and his personhood. And that very personhood is what God is calling out of us, that we also long to become the beauty that we are welcomed by, that we find wonder in, and that we that leads us to worship. And so we think about relationships as well as being icons of beauty that we're working on. We think about friendship. We think about marriage. We think about parenting. We think about the relationships that we have with our grocers. And we think about, now there's real beauty that can be, that can emerge out of this. But that beauty requires work. It requires work. It requires effort. We've got two adult children age 30 and 27. And they're, they're just 
I mean, they are remarkable human beings, despite having me for a dad. And I'm struck, I'm struck at the moments where we, you know, my wife and I still find ourselves having to work at those relationships. I think like, well, Hmm. you're 27. I shouldn't have, like, I did all that work in the first, you know, two decades of life. I shouldn't have to work anymore. You're an adult. Act like one. When really it's like he could say the same thing to me, right? He could say like, dad, you're like 57, almost 58. Like work, like act like one, like act like an adult. It requires work. And I just, I just want to say I, I, that um, work is part of the um, necessary ingredient out of which beauty emerges and can become part of our life. It's, it's not something uh, that just happens to us. It's not something that just happens to other people. Um, and I, I even think of this podcast, for instance. It, it takes effort for us. There are certain elements that are effortless that feel hand in glove because of our relationship. But there's effort that has to be put into this even as well. It, it's also, it's work just to be paying attention to it, right? I mean, it, that requires <laughs> work yes. just to, and and development of of habit, I think, too. You know, I mean, I, I can go through my day without noticing any of these things if I so choose. But for me to notice the beauty around me in the everyday, I think that's that requires work and, a t- right. and, and focus. Right. Well, this being early in our series of podcasts, we and, and we're, you know, we're talking about the, you know, the elements of what it means for us to be known by one another. Right. And that whole process, we, we've talked today about longing along with beauty. And I think it is that longing that runs hand in glove with this that uh, fits in particular around this, uh, fits together in particular around this question of beauty, in that beauty isn't just something that comes to us. It is something that we actually long for. We long for this. But just because I long for it doesn't mean it's automatically going to come upon me. It takes effort. It takes practice. It takes the development of habit. I can long for the beauty of being able to play an instrument. I can long for the beauty of being able to attune to people's emotion. But that beauty, that that longing must be nurtured. It must be practiced. We like to say in our in our world that uh, when, when it comes to this feature of neuroplasticity, which we'll be talking on and off again about over the course of our time together, this notion of the brain being able to change, the brain being able to flexibly adapt, our ability to, with intentional activity, change the way our neural firing patterns are even firing. They are primed and prompted and long to, to long for beauty, to long for connection, to long to be known. And yet we have experiences in our world that interrupt that process, that fracture that process, that, as we say, disintegrate that process, in which shame enters into the conversation and disrupts that process such that it becomes really difficult for me to... It, to activate and produce the habits 
of paying attention to beauty because so many other things are banging around in my head and that interfere with that process. Hmm. I long to be known, but in the, and, and to be known, I, I long to be known in order to then go and create beauty and to look for and attune for attune to beauty and create it as part of our heritage is what it means to be made in God's image. But it is in those places of fracture where shame has entered into the equation that that longing gets kind of sidestepped, it gets truncated, it gets short-circuited into all kinds of other behaviors that ultimately lead to the kinds of things that create problems for me and for us. And in that process, we aren't fully known. And in that process, we don't pay attention to beauty. We develop other kinds of habits instead that take us down pathways and rabbit holes that we would rather not be taken down. But when we then begin to remind each other that beauty is what we are really longing for, it can begin to pull us back onto a path of redemption, back onto a path in which we can tell our stories more truly, which are stories that acknowledge that we are people of great longing. We are people of great desire. We hunger and thirst. Jesus said it well, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right relationships. He's aware that we hunger and thirst. We are a hungry, thirsty, longing people. And he's really saying, if you direct your attention toward relational wholeness, if that's what you direct your longing toward, you will be filled. And it is that directing of attention that you so rightly says, you so rightly say, like, takes so much effort, especially when we're trying to overcome all my distractible and distracting ways in which my attention can be drawn otherwise. Yeah. And it's easy to get distracted. Oh, man. And in this time that we're in, it's for me partly been a time where I've been able to refocus. Mm. You know, if anything positive can come out of this this time, I'll take it, right? Right. Um, right. But it has been a time where I am really allowing myself to experience beauty, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, in different forms. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded about, you know, just this notion that, you know, speaking of us being people of longing and longing for beauty as a natural part of who we are, not just as an added on luxury, but as something that we, that we long for even to survive, let alone to thrive or flourish. I, I think about how, you know, we are people who long to be hydrated. You know, we're, we, we long for water and, we can often get through our day uh, and be a little underhydrated, and it doesn't keep us from functioning. But if we are underhydrated, and then we find ourselves in a situation in which we just don't have access to water, we don't just discover that we're thirsty. We discover that, my goodness, I've been underhydrated for a long time. Mm-hmm. When the pandemic has come, with the, with the coming of the pandemic, we don't just discover that we are people who need water. We discover we've been underhydrated. We've been underhydrated for a long, long time. And it's not, you know, we, we discover like, gosh, 
The pandemic is not the primary and only reason why I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty because for a long time, I have not been in a place or a way or a state in which I'm being deeply known. And therefore, I don't have, as part of my regular routine, I don't have the opportunity or the option to be pointed toward beauty as an integral, important part of what it means for me to be a human being on a day-to-day basis. It's not just that I find it in the museum or in the woods. I need to be finding it in the here and now. But it's difficult for me to do that if it hasn't been part of my daily diet to be doing that before now. And so I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really thrilled uh, that you're finding it. I'm, I'm wondering if there are other ways that our audience, you know, other ways you, you, examples of ways in which you've been finding beauty in this time. Yeah, you know, a lot of what I've experienced has been the beauty of nature more than anything, I would say, because, you know, during this time, there's really not a lot of things that you can do, right? Mm-hmm. So I spend, and my family and I, my wife and uh, my kids and I, we do a lot of hiking. And mm-hmm. um, we're really lucky that we've got places. So last weekend, Labor Day weekend, my, my wife and I took two particular hikes. We we took an urban hike where we started down by the river. We walked across the river and up, you know, the area here, but up into uh, Mount Adams, you know. Yes. And, Uh, Right. I know you know that area and just enjoying the architecture and everything up there, you know, and and that was our whole conversation. You know, it was just a a day of immersing ourselves in Mm -hmm. just the beauty of of things that we're seeing around us. And then the next morning we went there, sort of hiked through this old growth forest, you know, that it's not too far away and and just feeling the scale of these trees and the canopy that's over us mm-hmm. and the light just come, you know, and, and then we went with another couple and our relationships and the conversation was beautiful too. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the setting lent itself to more intimate conversation. Mm-hmm. And right. um, so I think prior to maybe the pandemic, we, you know, we might not have even thought to get out and take those, those walks as much as, right. As yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 uh, I, I wonder as as we're speaking. I wonder we may have listeners who think, well, gosh, uh, you know, I can't get to Mount Adams that easily, or gosh, I can't right. get to the old growth forest by driving, right. you know, twenty minutes. You know, what am I supposed to do? And I think that there are actually some easy starting points that we can, you know, we can begin with. We can, yeah, we can begin with some simple things. Uh, that often pass us by. I, I had this little routine uh, in our neighborhood. I will sometimes, uh, well, early in the morning, get out and and I have this little prayer walk that I go up and down my street, like in just for the people, the, the houses mm-hmm. on my street. But there are uh, a number of different trees on my street that are in different stages of life. Some really small, some really large, and I will stop. At one of these trees, and I will just put my hand on the tree mm-hmm. to to feel the bark and to look at. Now, I usually try to do this early enough in the morning that I'm I'm counting on my neighbors not like nobody seeing this right. And and if any of my neighbors actually are listening to this podcast, uh, just don't worry when you know don't be looking for me. I'm 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 not as strange as this might sound. But I I I 
but again, this is where the work comes in, right? Like you, you had to go to the old growth forest. You yeah. had to walk up to Mount Adams. You had to do, yeah. you had to put in the time and the effort to do this. And again, I think that we are moving at such a fast pace in our culture yeah. that the pandemic has, among a number of things that have been really hard, it also right. gives us time. It also provides the opportunity. And then we have to decide, am I going to do this with this time? What am I going to do with this time? And just walking in my neighborhood, encountering nature, as it were, even in those small ways, is a way for me to be reminded that God's creation, God's presence, the fact that I couldn't make one of these trees appear, uh, reminds me of my place in the world, reminds me of Barry's poem, this sense that I'm now in the world in which the tree is not worrying about its presence. It is just living. It's like, it, it is doing its job yes. as a tree. And that God is calling me to do that and no more than that, no less than that, but no more than that. And that God is in the business of comforting us and caring for us. But I actually have to put in the work to be present in those ways. And so for some of our listeners, I would encourage us to consider that there are probably small things that we can do that you can take five or 10 minutes. uh, And, you know, if you do them in your neighborhood, you know, just limit it to five or 10 minutes so that your neighbors don't get suspicious. Uh, Just, you know, walking and being present in these spaces Because just like anything else that we practice, beauty is something that we have to get used to seeing, get used to looking for. Again, some things are super obvious. The Grand Canyon. Now, you know, we're aware that the statistics on the Grand Canyon is that the average length of stay for most people is less than 20 minutes, which of course you think like, how is that possible? Less than 20 minutes, which means... Those are people who, even the Grand Canyon, isn't big enough to capture their attention. And so it requires activity for us, and we can start out in these smaller ways, and we might think, well, gosh, like, I'm not having some major existential revelation here by being out in an old-growth forest. I want to say we practice and then become what we practice. And we start in small ways and work our way into larger and larger ways. We strengthen our capacity to see beauty in other places. We see beauty then in the things that we're making at work. We see beauty in the conversations that we're having. We see beauty even in the repairs of the ruptures that we make in relationships where there have been fractures. But this capture of of beauty, this practice of looking for it, is an important place for us to begin because if we're not taught to practice putting ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty, we won't necessarily do that as if it's just like breathing. Another thing that I found, um, I, I had gotten in the bad habit of not listening to music mm-hmm. on, a, on, a, on the regular, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that has reemerged for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be, you know, yeah, 
working all day, going from Zoom call to Zoom call and doing all this and, and just, you know, and I'll break away and put some music on, whatever, you know, floats your boat. But I can remember one particular time where it was it was getting to be close. I, I, I needed to, to make dinner. I'd been working all day and um, had a feeling a lot of stress. I went in and uh, just cranked up Peter Gabriel. And I'm, I, if you could have seen me, if there was a video camera, it would be really embarrassing. Because there was a dance going on in the kitchen. But what it, awesome. the, the feeling that it gave me, though, it had just, just lifted my spirits. It, it just, um, and, and so, but, but, you know, listen to all kinds of, of music. And, and I find, I don't know, what, what is it about, like, what is music doing to us? Why? It, it feels like the one, one of the things that's universal. I mean, everybody doesn't like the same music, but, but it affects all of us. Right. Well, that's, and that's, that I think that that'll be, uh, that, that will be, a. Uh, important topic in and of itself for us to talk about. Yes. But I think in general, one of the things that music does, like being captivated by other forms of beauty, you know, from a neurobiological perspective, we would say that it uh, is is helpful because it actually really activates both of our hemispheres, right? It's What's interesting is that when we think about music, we... Um, we imagine it as being artistic, which of course it is. We imagine it being beautiful to the auditory input, which of course it is. And so we would be inclined to imagine that it is primarily and dominantly a right hemispheric activity. It's something that takes place in the right part of our brain, in the right, in the right brain, where we tend to sense an image and feel so much more compared to what we tend to sense an image and feel in the activity of our left brain, where there's so much logic and linear work going on. Of course, what's interesting about music is that it is uh, extraordinarily mathematical in its nature. There is a tempo, there are numbers, there are ways in which it makes sense, ways in which it doesn't make sense, and that whole making sense of things is a highly left hemispheric way of living in the world. Like, you're listening to Peter Gabriel part of what it allows you to do that is because there's a certain tempo that allows you to dance. Right. There's a certain regularity. There's a certain predictability to this that you can anticipate that's coming, right? There's a certain repetition of chorus, right? Mm-hmm. There's, even without knowing what it might be, you can imagine that when the bridge comes, it makes sense that that's where the bridge is. And at the same time, there is this movement. There is this sense of auditory pleasure that we experience. There's the pleasure of different kinds that different people experience in different ways. And so in many respects, one of the things that music does is it brings our left and our right hemispheres together in a highly integrating way. And so you add to that the notion of lyrics that can also be moving that can be life-changing for many of us. And what you're doing is encountering something that in and of itself has the capacity to literally integrate our lives. Now, it doesn't automatically do it. It doesn't do it absolutely. We have to cooperate with that. 
We have to be open to that. As we said, beauty welcomes us, but I don't have to enter in. I can just spend my 20 minutes at the rim of the Grand Canyon and go home. I don't have to enter in, even though it's welcoming me. Those, that experience you had with the mallard and the blue heron on the creek, you could have walked right past that. They would have been mm-hmm. there to welcome you, and you'd have just, you could have blown up. But you didn't because you were entering into it. And so it is an integrating phenomenon, but not without our cooperation. And this, we would say, is a, is a large part of like what, what Jesus is doing in the Gospels, right? This is what God is doing. He's saying, come join the dance of the Holy Trinity. We got some great music here that we want to play, and we want you all to be in the dance. And of course, part of what's difficult for me, uh, as I've been telling this to people recently, I just really discovered that, you know, long before I have trouble loving people, loving God, loving my neighbor... Uh, my trouble in doing that is because I've had so much more trouble receiving love. I have trouble receiving, like God comes Mm. with this dance. I don't trust it. There's a part of me that is suspicious. There's a part of me that thinks like, well, I'm going to get in the middle of this dance and I'm going to look silly. And believe me, if, you know, you were watching me dance, like you, you know, you might have those <laughs> kinds of thoughts. You're like, yeah, okay, I see what you mean, Kurt. I know exactly what you're talking about now. I'm going to look silly, or everybody else is like, the music is going to stop, and everybody's going to be looking at me. There's going to be a hundred different ways in which my own story and my unfinished business and the place that shame operates in the nooks and crannies of my own life keep me from receiving the dance when it comes into my space. And so this is where community, of course, plays a role because, you know, I might be afraid of entering into the dance, but if you were with me (laughs) in ways that you have been, and you said, no, Kirk, come on, let's try it. Or let's just, let's try it for, let's try it for 30 seconds. We'll step in for 30 seconds, and then we will step out if we don't like it. I'm like, yeah, I know you, Pep. I know you're going to get me in for 30 seconds. I'm in for 30 seconds. I'm in for 30 minutes. <laughs> I know how you work. I, know, I see what you're doing there. This sense, though, that when we have community that says, no, like, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with you. I'll do this with you. Mm-hmm. This is why Trinitarian theology is such a big deal, right, that God comes to us as a community, this Father, Son, Spirit, community that says, join us. And they can also say, and we know what it's like to be afraid to do this. Jesus can say, I know what it's like to be afraid. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to not want to do something that I know is good to do. Because like that whole crucifixion thing, not something I was particularly looking forward to. I even asked if we could, I could get a, like, you know, a transfer to a different department. And it turns out I was the only guy for the job that needed to be done. And I, I, I want to say that uh, also, this, this is just triggering some other things for me, like there are other people whose lives and their capacity to, for them to join into the dance uh, actually uh, is contingent upon our willingness to do that because they're, we don't even know it. They're looking at us. And they're saying, okay, if Pep does this, I'll, okay, I'll go. Okay, if Pep will dance to Peter Gabriel in his kitchen, then I'll, I'll, I'll at least stand in the doorway and watch him. And or then I will come in and join him. And or no, then I will do it. And 
there are others whose lives of wholeness and beauty themselves are actually contingent upon what we're doing. And uh, that's also, you know, a conversation for another time as well, but all part of this longing for beauty. Yeah, yeah. This has been amazing, Kurt. This has been really, really good time spent. Mm. You know, I guess that, you know, we have to say food, water, air, shel- food, water, air shelter, and beauty. Yeah, <laughs> have to right add on. It, right? Right on. Yep. Right on. Um, for <laughs> survival. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Thank you, Kurt. Pepper. Until next time. Until next time. It's always a pleasure, my brother. Love you. Love you too. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and music is provided by Noah Needleman. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on our website, beingknownpodcast.com, or you can find us on social media at beingknownpod. Be well and be known.